Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Michael Robb on the line. Michael, how are you? I'm great. Michael, thanks for letting me have a chance to talk to you today. Likewise, I'm glad that you're here. So you've got a really interesting background. You've done a lot of different things. So I want to share with the audience a little bit about you, and then we'll dive right in. Yeah, I think you know, more the way of the world. Like my dad worked in the same job for decades, but here I, you know, uh, you know the world as it came. I started as an investment banker uh, coming out of Wharton Business School and uh, then went back to business school at University of Chicago and jumped back to investment banking. So at that point, I wasn't too unique in my career path, but I made an internet sector jump where I headed up finance at a company at exactly the wrong time as the tech bubble burst. So there's a good lesson there and life doesn't go as planned. And then uh, I ended up sort of unintentionally through a contact in the healthcare space about 20 years ago and got in the operation side of business, which I never expected. So build up, ran and built a group of surgery centers that we sold to a public company. And then I went a little bit back to my roots of doing acquisition activity uh, and a couple of major healthcare corporations, uh, one in the occupational medicine space, one in the dental space, uh, and really helped grow their footprints by about 20% in in various periods of time. And uh, for the last five years, I started my own group, really focusing on strategic growth, um, strategic growth initiatives, whether that's acquisitions, capital raising, are really just like business planning and really built, you know, being a part of a management team, you know, an outside person helping support management teams in their growth modes. A lot of that in healthcare, but also outside of the healthcare space. Well, all those experiences definitely you use them in a tool bag. And I'm guessing if you're like me, because I've had a diverse career was accounting and IT, and then I was in healthcare and nonprofit now doing the work that I'm doing now. And all of them, if you look at them, they look, okay, they look very siloed, but all the tools that I picked up along the way I use now, I may not be able to identify where I picked up that skill. I just don't even think about it. It's like, okay, I need to use the accounting tool today. No, I just don't even think about it. It's just natural yeah. there. Uh, so you know, a lot of people think, well, I can't switch industries because I don't know anything about it. It's like, you know more about it than you think. It's There's a lot of common things to do. And of course, there's nuances with every industry, but sure. skills that you pick up along the way are definitely going to pay out. So, uh, so well, that's great career. So, we'll, we'll talk about acquisitions a little bit because I, yeah. I know we talked about in the pre-show, we may not highlight that, but I thought it might be good because one of the things that I find a lot of entrepreneurs and new business owners do is they have this product or service that they're marketing and mm-hmm. they're seeing some growth and things like that, but they, they don't really launch their business with an exit strategy. They, yeah. they, they, they've never thought about it. They're like, what do you mean? It's like, oh, oh, I see. You're going to live you know, a thousand years. You're going to be running mm-hmm. this company. You're going to be like Hudson Bay Company out of Canada that's been around for hundreds of years. No, you're. We all have expiry dates. It's like, so, what's your plan? Is it going to continue on with your family, or are you going to sell it? And I haven't thought about that. But well, that's something you're missing out on because yeah. that. It, it, when you build a business, and I, obviously I don't want to steal your thunder, I want you to be able to talk about this. But when you're building a business. You may not 
be thinking about the exit strategy. However, building your business in such a way to make it attractive for somebody that would be interested in acquiring it is, you know, there's some benefits to that as well. Even if you don't choose to sell it, you're still building your business. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. No, I think it's great. It's not stealing my thunder, right? Because that goes a lot of different directions. And I think the the type of business you have somewhat impacts that future exit strategy. When I think about doctors and healthcare practices, you know, they're actually their own core assets. So they have to be very thoughtful uh, about when they plan to sell, because if they wait till they want to be out of the business, then they're the most valuable piece of the business. But you talk about a business has a product or service, um, you know, the next step there is, well, how are you somebody that could be replaced, you know, even in that business, if you're the CEO, but wearing 45 hats, as we talk about, um, you know, it, in time, if somebody wants to invest in you, invest in the business, uh, you know, how is it that what's it going to take to be able to add other resources or add other people to not make you as vital on a day-to-day basis in the long term? You know, I think so. Some of that is just, uh, I think, long-term planning. So before you even get to an, thinking about an acquisition is, uh, I think, having a business plan, you know, and and, and that one, that's, it's going to be wrong. And that's the one thing. <laughs> you build a business plan, it's going to be wrong. And you're going to look, you know, if you look at it every year, you're going to say, well, this isn't even what I, I can't even imagine that that was what I was thinking 12 months ago. It should be something that doesn't feel like a painful exercise, but a process to see, to your point, where is this all going to go? And if you're able to build a business that has, look, uh, great cash flow and can be a permanent family generational cash cow business. That's great. Um, when I think about acquisitions, you know, in theory, you should be building a business that has value. Um, so whether you want to keep it, you know, if it's a good enough business, somebody else is going to want to buy it. Uh, it's nice to have that window of opportunity. You know, I deal with some companies that aren't the much, you know, and that's their one exit strategy. Others where it's, could they get big enough to go public or do something bigger like that? You know, that's a whole different gig. That's, I think that's gravy. If you're at a point where that's, or somebody says you should go public. First of all, I think very carefully about that. There's a lot of reasons, but, but those are more like, that's hard to plan for, but certainly planning on what can I make a business that somebody else would find attractive enough to buy. As long as you have that mindset, even if you choose never to sell it, then you have an option, right? Then, and something could change in your life tomorrow that makes you want to exit family reasons, other personal matters. So if you build a business that's attractive and you have a path to you being removed from it, uh, at some point, that's, that's you know, not, you know, not a bad thought process there. And so acquisitions should be you know, in, your, you know, in the back of your head somewhere from a, you know, as, as, you, as you build and scale. I love how you said yeah. that because you build up the company uh, to where someone would want to buy it, even though you may not have a desire to sell it at any particular time. Yeah. It's still, okay, this is a business that other people would like to acquire or merge with. That means it's a business that's obviously not only attractive to your clients, but to potential competition as well. And that, that bodes a lot. And I agree with you yeah. going public. Oh boy. You know, it's like, yeah, that's, that's a, that's a nightmare in itself. You know, yeah. the, the yeah. reporting, you know, you hear doctors complaining about reporting, <laughs> go public. Good. Yeah. That's all you, that's all your company is going to do is be reporting. You know, it's, it's, it's time consuming for sure. And, and expensive. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I tried to I tell it feel to stay away from that. Even somebody who took companies worked on taking companies public. I say stay away from that conversation and don't yeah. don't even, don't focus there until it's something where it's so obvious that you should be considering it. 
Yeah. Yeah. If it may, if then there's cases where it makes a ton of sense from a, you know, growth standpoint, investment standpoint, where, you know, venture capital is only to a certain extent and, you know, they Mm -hmm. wanted to go public, you know, all those things. But at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's a nice problem to have if you're having those conversations, but on the flip side, you know, you got to tie into it. Okay. Maybe that'd be a good time to say, okay, we're close to be going public, but I don't have the, the appetite to do it. That might be where acquisition time comes in. And another company says, yeah, we're going to take it public or we're going to merge it into our existing entity anyway. And, you know, there's all kinds of angles to take it. So in your career of, of doing all these things, yeah, what, what's a common element that you run into time and time again? Uh, with clients that you know are are needing some guidance on some things, is there one thing that you tend to see time and time again? Yeah, and I I think that um, one is that because a lot of these businesses, the way they've grown up, uh, you know, typically very entrepreneurial led, and people aren't strong at everything. I, I find the one area that tends to be the most neglected is finance. Um, so when I'm looking at groups that are needing to take that next jump in their business. They're the, the people who are doing the, it's, it's typically we have a bookkeeper and so my finances are in order. Um, but if you're really talking about strategically planning and growing your business, you do want some additional insight that goes beyond somebody just preparing your books and filing a tax return, uh, even giving tax insights, which sometimes the accounts people choose to work with don't, aren't really that insightful. They're just processing. So, uh, and it, that doesn't mean people need to run out and get a full-time controller or run out and get a full-time chief financial officer. There's a lot of great fractional opportunities there. And so uh, I think it's the hardest part for some people to appreciate the value. And I'm biased because I right, have a finance background and a dad who is a CFO. So I, I'm very biased in that regard, but I, I think that People, you know, it's harder to appreciate because that doesn't drive revenue. It's sort of, but effectively, it helps the business grow uh, and be managed properly. So I find that's one glaring weakness. The other one is just by the nature of people wearing, building the business, and they were doing all the jobs. And over time, and I'm guilty of this myself, is when do you start passing off some of those responsibilities? And I think it's. It goes back into looking at your, you know, you're looking at your team as much as looking at yourself and recognizing what are my strengths, what are my team's strengths. So how do we play into those? But sometimes it's like I could be really good at something, but I hate it. So wait a minute, maybe that's not the best thing for me to keep doing. But where are there opportunities to build on what people, you know, can bring to the table? So learning how to delegate, I think, is a challenge for somebody who's been wearing the hat for too long. Um, but at some point, again, for business growth purposes. Effective CEO can't keep being uh, in every ditch. Uh, They have to be able to give some guidance and direct. Um, And I see that time and time again. Uh, And I think that's so it's time and time again because it just makes sense. You've been doing it all yourself for so long. How do you stop and how do you make that transition? And at least piece by piece. I agree. And again, from an acquisition standpoint, if you're the only person that's doing everything and you want to exit the business, well, you are the business. So if you're not there, there is no business. And I was one to, you know, earlier in my career that was absolutely horrible 
uh, a delegation, okay. especially when I got into the C-suite levels. And then mm-hmm. my, 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 my personal, you know, health story and, you know, all the good stuff that happened with me. And I say good quote unquote, wasn't, but yeah. at the end of the day, uh, I, I learned important lessons, especially around burnout and all of that. And then, you know, the pendulum swung the other way where now it's a case of something lands on my desk. The first thing I think of is, okay, who besides me could do this? And if I find somebody, guess what? They're going to do it unless, and there's an asterisk there. Uh, if you got a team, you, you need to know, especially in a leadership role, what you've delegated. So you don't over-delegate and burn out one of your key people because, yes, they're good at it, but that doesn't mean you have them do everything because otherwise you're just shifting the everything to one other person. It's like you need to distribute it and harmonize it and, and check in from time to time. You know, from an investment standpoint, you rebalance your portfolio and, you know, kind of shift some things, you know, from here to here. It's like, okay, I'm a little heavy in this industry. Maybe I need to look at this and, 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 you know, and and do a deep dive, not just you know what uh, CNBC told us to do this morning. So it's not not picking yeah. on it or or Fox yeah. Business. I'm not I'm not going to single out anybody. <laughs> they're, they're they're all guilty of telling us to do things, and we we jump and we go. Hmm, maybe I shouldn't have done that. You know, take yeah. time, research. You know, learn your own things. So, so of all the careers you've had, which which is the one that um, you think was the most instrumental uh, in in shaping who you are today? <laughs> Yeah, I, I, it's it's probably that's a great. Well, I haven't thought about that question. I mean, I think investment banking, where I started my career, really set me up for a lot of opportunities. So uh, back to your point of uh, you're pulling from your your experience and your your toolkit of things that you've learned. Sometimes I'm answering questions I don't even know where that knowledge comes from. It, a, lot, a lot of it stems from having worked in, with companies across eight, ten different industries, and what working with a technology company and a poultry company at the same time on, on, on deals, but there's, there's sort of still business is business. So there's overlap there. So I, I learned a lot in those, you know, I think every year in investment banking feels like two or three years of normal life because of unfortunately how much you're working and how many, what the deals your activity is. But so there was a lot of learning there. Um, got to work with a lot of C-suite people, um, CEO, CFOs, as well as our own team. Uh, so got a lot of, heard a lot of voices, a lot of the way they looked at their business. So that was hugely instrumental. But I think equally for me, which would be a, my sort of the, how I ended up in healthcare was running surgery centers. Um, never thought of myself as an operations person, but having a hundred physician partners, um, staff of like 75 nurses, techs, all kinds of other people and having to actually understand all those pieces and where people are more valuable, where that your my lowest priced employees front dollar per hour orderlies and receptionists were some of my most valuable and really getting a sense for the highest paid people on a day-to-day basis don't necessarily directly the customer experiences and they don't see that they see the people who are um you know sort of the lower level people um and and so you have to recognize how to value your personnel and i think that has gone a long way with me in my career of appreciating what people bring to the table and why they're valuable and not getting too full of yourself. I'm here, I'm running these the business, but if I wasn't there for a day, things are fine. If I'm my orderly is all called out, we're, you know, we're, <laughs> we're not functioning. So uh, really not trying to run things with a, a, a feeling like a hierarchy, just understanding that everyone plays a pivotal role. Um, and I see that going forward in all the businesses I work with. And, and then particularly as I work with a lot of 
groups in the healthcare sector, I'm, I'm very sensitive to the dynamics they're working and managing with there because I've lived it. So yeah, that's actually been a new, particularly valuable experience. Yeah, I, I worked in healthcare for over a dozen years uh, with you know running uh, primary care clinics, and yeah, yeah the the front lines and your nursing staff make everything flow so much better. And when you have people that are capable and you give them all the tools they need to be successful, and then you get out of their way and let them do <laughs> you, you right. know, the, the the analogy of you said if I'm not there, you know it's not a big deal. If reception's not there. That's going to make things really clunky, and you know, the someone has to go get the patient, triage them, figure out what's going on, get them in with the patient. It, it's it's amazing, you know, how well things flow. So you bring in the right people, and you yeah. compensate them the best you can, and and give them the autonomy to you know, kind of yeah. set their own way of doing things. Yeah. Um, it it make you see improved scores, healthier patients, uh, improved wait times, you name it. It has such a positive ripple effect and it's yeah. subtle things, you know, but yeah. Well, I think you hit on it. it. It's empowering people that work for you. And I think that the, as soon as, you know, you have some confidence in some people and you give them a little bit of latitude, I think people, you know, there's people who surprise you both ways, right? Like they don't, some people will never step up and people you never saw coming really are, super overachievers and are looking to really make a difference. And I think they feel you know, those people buy into the team and the culture uh, and then can add that kind of value are amazing. It doesn't matter what their, what their job was before or what their, their education backer was. Some people just have something special about them and an energy and they can drive huge value in any kind of business. So if you, if you can step back and give them that latitude, it's, you know, you know, that's where I think that's where for, it's almost like forced delegation. Like soon people step up and take on the, take things off your plate. It's amazing. Yeah. And in two of the clinics that I ran over my decade, the receptionist that I had brought on um, later on replaced me, you know, a couple of years later after I left the organization, I, you know, look and go, Susie's the director of the clinic. And I am, it was a shock, but it not a shock. Like I knew she could do it. I didn't know she was interested in doing it. And I'm like, I'm thrilled yeah. like that. That's amazing. It's like someone that was in kind of a frontline role rose through the ranks and, and became the leader of that organization. And like, and that's amazing. It's, yeah. it's called creating the, you know, it's like creating a little incubator, letting people, you know, run with the ball and, and see what they can do. And yeah. that's, that's how growth comes in. And I always like having environments available. And it sounds like you do too, where people yeah. can, can thrive and surprise you and go, wow, exactly that's right. great. Yeah, that's, yeah. Awesome. I think it's great. So Michael, I've loved this conversation. Where can people find out more about you and the amazing work you do? Uh, my website is inflection360.com. So I'm basically always dealing with businesses at, at their key inflection points. And I try to take a pretty global view or my team does of, of, from all avenues. So inflection360.com or on LinkedIn is where I most apt if people hit, hit me up. That's where I try to respond to people promptly. And I love to just learn about people and their business challenges, whether it's an ongoing working relationship. If I, you never know what comes down, you know, down the pike um, in terms of relationships. So adding a little guidance that's helpful now, it, it may turn into something else later. If not, it's paying it forward. So I, I love to connect with people, hear what their challenges are. And if I can offer some insight, that's great. 
Um, but uh, so on LinkedIn, my name, there are not very many Michael Robs out there. So pretty easy to find me. And I'll definitely have that in the show notes to make it even yeah. easier for them. So Michael, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate you and um, love talking with you today. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of the Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.